Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. And good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to this edition of Bring It On, where a multiple award-winning show celebrating over 14 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. Good evening, I'm William Hosea. Indiana's minority communities share a long and proud history, a history that has provided hope and inspiration to generation after generation. Unfortunately, it's a history also marked by pain, struggle, and even bloodshed. The Indiana Black Legislative Caucus, IBLC, is working to overcome the wrongs of the past as they pursue the social and economic initiatives that make up their work at the Indiana State House. The members of the IBLC hold fast to the following principles as they work to develop policies and pass laws that will positively impact minority communities throughout the state. These ideas are, con- are constantly changing to reflect the needs of Indiana's citizen- citizens and the communities in which they live. The Indiana Black Legislative Caucus is currently comprised of 11 members of the Indiana House of Representatives and four members of the Indiana State Senate. State Representative Robin Shackelford is the current chair of the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus. An Indianapolis native, she has dedicated her life to the principles of servant leadership. She has extensive experience in government, community, and diversity affairs, coupled with a strong background in project management, supervision, training, and budgeting. First elected to the Indiana House of Representatives in 2012, Shackelford represents the citizens of Indiana House District 98 and serves as ranking minority member of the Public Health Committee, and she is also on the Financial uh, Institutions and Government and Regulatory Reform Committees. She joins us by phone to discuss progress to date on the IBLC major initiatives for 2019 and with the first round of Democratic presidential debates later for this week. We look forward to hearing her insights on the slate of contenders for the highest office in our land. State Representative Robin Shackelford, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you, Clarence. Thanks for having me on. All right. And uh, William, uh, Jose is seated to my right here. Uh, He also bids you a welcome to uh, bring it on. Hi, Jose. Um, We are glad to have you, as always. um, And we have always been pleased to have any representative uh, from the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus to come on and talk about what's going on and uh, some of the top initiatives that you all are addressing and you all have been so very busy uh, again as your mission says trying to make life better uh, not only for all but for especially for African Americans and uh, just a quick glance at your legislative agenda and some have described it as ambitious uh, some say it's a very comprehensive but starting off Uh, There's some topics that we want to address. One is uh, traffic amnesty. Um, And there's a descriptor here that says nearly half a million Hoosiers currently have their driving privileges suspended due to unpaid financial obligations. And these obligations include everything from parking fines to traffic violations to reinstatement fees. 
And a suspended driver's license prevents people from maintaining a regular job, keeping financial commitments, and helping other family members. Now, there's a bill that you all are introducing or have introduced that would establish a traffic amnesty program that would reduce the amount of unpaid obligations based on a person's income. It would allow productive residents to regain their license immediately and prove and provide rather additional revenue for local services. Can you tell us uh, the status of that, if it's been introduced or if it has been introduced, the status of it, and perhaps a little bit more on, on what you seek to achieve through the introduction of this legislation? Yes, yeah, so that was actually uh, my House Bill 1141. Uh, it did pass um, this past session. So that was a bill that passed the House and the Senate and has already been signed by the governor. That bill will actually, the program will go into effect January the 1st, 2020. It is one of those bills that will take effect July 1st of this year. But we put in there a six-month lead time for the state agency and the courts to be able to upgrade their system and put in place a marketing program. So what it exactly entails is People will be able to get 50% off of what they owe on those reinstatement fees from the BMV and also those court fees that they may owe uh, to the court system, which will be a great accomplishment. One of the other things that I did have in the deal was a payment plan. That didn't make it. Uh, we will continue to fight for a payment plan. On average, we did find out that people are owing about five or six thousand dollars. A lot of people owe that amount. Some people may owe a thousand or five hundred dollars. But whatever you owe in those back payments, you will be able to get fifty percent off of it come July first, January first, twenty. So, and the amnesty program will go for a year. So there, there is no. Um, sentencing forgiveness but this this just is um uh directing all payments and fees regarding your sentencing court appearance um and reinstatement fees 50 percent toward that not toward the sentence itself and and of course if you're a repeat offender can you look forward to this type of uh amnesty benefit in the future yes uh, as long as it's within that year and then also, if you are on child support and your license has been suspended, as long as you are participating in one of the prosecutor's programs and you're not behind in that program, you can also participate in the traffic amnesty program and get your fees and fines reduced by 50%. Uh, Representative Sharkford, this is William Hosea. How are you? Good. You know, we we tried to get you down last year to uh, with John John Bartlett and Cherish Pryor to talk to uh, the Black Caucus, but unfortunately, you had to pull out it. Uh, yeah. So it's a pleasure to talk to you now. We can do a little catch up. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask about this amnesty program. So this is a program that uh, applies across the board, or were there any situations where pe certain people would not apply? depending on their, you know, their uh, individual situations? So this could apply across the board. Mostly everyone should be, um, should qualify for this. There was just a couple of exceptions. Um, I'm going to pull the bill up right now. Yeah, then that's what I'm asking about, the exceptions. The exceptions. 
Yes, there were a couple of exceptions that you wouldn't get to apply, but I can pull that up right quick. Uh, but mostly everyone would be eligible uh, for this program. Let me look. I can pull that up right quick and see who are the exceptions. While you're doing that, I... With, okay, I just got it up. Okay. With an outstanding arrest warrant wouldn't be eligible, and a person uh, sentenced to pay restitution to the victim of a crime if that person is not current on the person's required payment, then you wouldn't be eligible. Those are the only two, and then for the child support, if you weren't current on that child support program that you were in for six months, then you wouldn't be eligible. Okay. So those are the only three exceptions. All right, well, congratulations on the uh, successful passage of that piece of legislation, and you did mention that the governor has already signed this into law, so, and goes into effect in, in, in the month of January of 2020. Well, the law actually goes into effect July 1st. Oh, July 1st. Okay. Law, yeah, July 1st. But we put in there a lead time for the state agencies and the court system because they're going to have to change their IT systems and then come yeah. up with a marketing program to okay. let people know about it. All right. Uh, one other uh, piece of legislation that was introduced uh, last January uh, was the Equal Pay Wage Disclosure. And your colleague, State Representative Carolyn Jackson, introduced this. Uh, in short, the bill would make it unlawful, an unlawful employment practice, rather, to pay wages that discriminate based on sex for similar, uh, for similar work. Further, it would secure an employee's ability to inquire about it, uh, disclose, compare, or otherwise discuss their wages. This bill additionally provides that the Civil Rights Commission would have jurisdiction to review any disputes and allegations of wage discrimination. What's the status of this piece of legislation? So that bill did not get a hearing. Uh, it went to the Committee of Employment and Labor Attention. Even though we did make it part of our agenda and really tried to push for it, so it will still be on our agenda coming up again if Representative Jackson um, authors it again, we'll still push for it. But it didn't get a hearing. It didn't get a committee hearing. So it died uh, in committee. Uh, sometimes uh, we, we, we know on, on, say, the national level how uh, some uh, strategies or tactics are used to sort of uh, kill bills, uh, even the language dead on arrival or whatever. But I would think uh, that there would be, um, you know, across the aisle support for something like this and that, um, you know, there is disparity in wages across the board, but especially when it comes to gender, uh, I would think that a lot of people would get on board, and I hope uh, the next effort that's made to pass this, that uh, that uh, people will sit up and take note of this and, and get to work on making this a reality. Yeah, we have a couple of bills, I know, dealing with gender and equity uh, that we try to push during session, Considering that only 25% of our legislature are women, sometimes it's hard to push those equal pay bills or any bills that are going to um, help women, whether it's doing in health care, whether it's doing with equal pay. So it is a big fight trying to push those bills and get our counterparts to really embrace these changes that need to be made. 
Um, William, I'll, I'll turn that to you. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to ask about the racial profiling bill um, sponsored by our state yeah. representative, Cherish Pryor. Now, I see where it prohibits law enforcement uh, from, from engaging in racial profiling, and then it requires data collection. But how, for the purpose of that bill, how is racial profiling defined? Uh, I would actually have to look at that bill and pull it up to see what the actual definition in there that they use. Okay. Yeah, well, when you start asking specific questions to specific bills, yeah. then I'll have to look up the bill to see how they're defining. Okay, well, let me uh, ask a more general question then. What is the status of that particular bill? That bill also didn't receive a hearing. So it went to uh, the Committee on Veteran Affairs, and it died in committee. So that was one of those that didn't uh, okay. receive a hearing. Yeah, most of our legislation uh, that we had uh, in our agenda uh, is in the section of our booklet of important legislation that didn't pass. And so most of that legislation that we had, each of our legislators got to pick one of their bills that they really wanted to push and put in our agenda. And so we had it as part of our agenda that we was really pushing. And most of the bills uh, didn't get pushed through or may not have got a hearing. So a lot of it didn't get passed as part of our agenda. You know, I was thinking about uh, this particular uh, piece of legislation, the bill, that uh, racial profiling data collection Am I wrong? Isn't that a, a federal requirement that uh, those type of stats be kept? Some of it is. Some of it is not. Some of the data is being collected by law enforcement, but a lot of the data is not being collected is what we learned. So some of the um, law enforcement agencies are not, just simply are not collecting this data. And, and I see in there this bill would have required uh, cultural diversity awareness training and training on unlawful racial profiling and pretextual stops for law enforcement officers. Yeah. These are things that are greatly needed. And, um, you know, we've on, on occasion on bringing on, we have brought uh, individuals on to talk <coughs> about how to conduct proper stops or what can the public expect when they're pulled over or asked to pull over for questioning or whatever. And they, they've even talked about some of the uh, cultural diversity training that officers go through. But obviously, uh, this is needed in our state on a, on a wider basis. And, and again, you know, this is something that I feel would benefit on both sides of the aisle. And I hate to, to, to just paint things in a sort of a polarizing way, but, but these are uh, laws that are, that are crafted to help ensure that when someone's pulled over that they can have a safe outcome. And make it back mm-hmm. home. Make it back home to their families, and I'm sure law enforcement also would enjoy the fact that yeah, I want a safe outcome too. I want to go home to my family. So, you know, bills like this um, should be rallied behind. And I know with the good efforts of the IBLC, and I know that that you all are doing a good job in just uh, bringing these to the forefront and making these uh, top of mind issues in the legislature. Yes. And one of the things that the public can do to help out, and this is what we have been promoting in our town hall and a new uh, piece that we've added in our town hall, is the advocacy piece. 
because we realize that people need to, uh, we want them to advocate more and how advocacy really works when it comes to getting committee chairs to hear these bills. Because a lot of people don't realize that it's only up to the committee chair if they're going to hear a bill or not. It's solely up to that chair if they're going to hear. And this is the biggest part where the community can come into play is during that committee process and to send an email to call the committee chair and say, look, we want the racial profiling bill to be heard. 1050 is that bill number. If they got 500 emails just on racial profiling on that bill and say this is a bill that needs to be heard to really back up what we're saying and it needs to be heard, then it's a possibility, a high possibility, that that bill would get heard. There was a bill in health that Representative Porter had that the chair was not going to hear. It was actually on bed bugs. The chair wasn't going to hear it because um, she said there was uh, too many other bills to hear. But it indirectly affected cats. And over the weekend, her and I received probably over 500 emails opposing the bill or wanting the bill to be heard because it indirectly affected cats. So because we got so many emails, and because of technology, our email address is tied to our phone. So every time that email comes through on that H98 account or whatever our district number is on our account, it comes to our phone. So over the weekend, we're just constantly hearing bing, 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 and hearing these emails come through. So when a chair is at an event, when they're trying to have dinner with their family, and they're hearing this constant bing, it gets their attention. So that made her finally hear the bill. But I think when people finally realize, okay, maybe if I do send an email or make a phone call, it really would benefit the chair or benefit the legislature, that maybe it will have an effect. And it does have an effect. For our listening audience, we are speaking with Indiana House Representative Robin Shackelford from District 98. She serves as a ranking minority member of the Public Health Committee. She is also on the Financial Institutions and Government and Regulatory Reform Committees. Uh, Representative Shackelford, you mentioned that uh, a lot of the bills did kind of died in committee. Um, are, are there any plans for the uh, IBLC to reintroduce these during, during the ne next session? Most of the members do reintroduce their bills. So next session is a short session, so the House members only get five bills apiece. During the long session, we get ten bills. So you may not see a legislator reintroduce all their bills that they had this session because we're limited. We only get five. Uh, the Senate doesn't have a limit. They're pretty much unlimited, mm. so you'll see them re reintroducing a lot of their bills over and over again, and then also next session is not a budget year. So you won't see a legislator reintroducing a bill that had a fiscal on it because we can't introduce anything um, that had a fiscal on it. So say, for instance, the traffic amnesty bill, I couldn't have did that next year. Uh, well, actually, that didn't have a big fiscal on it, but it did have some fiscal impact on it. But anything that costs, I wouldn't reintroduce that because we're uh, not looking at the budget next year. But you will see a lot of members reintroducing some of these bills if it falls within their top five or if something else more important hasn't came up by next year. You know, I, we're, a lot of us are aware 
or maybe I, I know everyone's not aware, but Indiana is one of the few states that has, that has not uh, passed a hate crimes legislation bill. And I see on here one of, on one of the list of, of bills that uh, perhaps was not successful um, um, was the bias crimes bill that uh, our good friend State Senator Greg Taylor and State Rep- Representative Greg Porter uh, introduced. And this would allow an individual that suffers a personal injury or a property damage because of a criminal offense to bring forth a civil action to recover damages. If the person who committed the offense selected the individual because of the individual's actual or perceived race, color, creed, disability, national origin, religion, sexual orientation, gender, or gender identity, um, then it further goes on to establish a sentencing procedure that requires the court to impose an additional fixed term of imprisonment if the crime was committed based on bias. And is this the, uh, is this bill the piece of legislation that would have brought in Indiana into the future, so to say, or was this maybe a tangential way to get some of that uh, narrative introduced in the legislation? So what happened was the Republicans actually passed a watered-down version of a bias crime bill, and they passed it under Senate Bill 198, which is called Sentencing. So the sentencing bill, uh, which is actually uh, the bias crime bill, because they put the bias crime language within that bill. So you would find it under Senate Bill 198. So what the bill actually says is it makes it an aggravating circumstance if commit a crime based on victims or the group's real or perceived characters, traits, beliefs, practice, association or other attributes the court chooses to consider, including but not limited to an attribute described in IC 1013-3-1. Two things. One, when it referenced that old IC code, that's actually Representative Porter's old language um, from not the bias crime original legislation that we had, but his language that has already been in code, but it wasn't a full bill. It was a bill that actually we had study language about. Um, but that language, I will tell you what it includes when it says, looking at this language, it covers color, creed, disability, national origin, race, religion, or sexual orientation. What is missing from that list? Because the Republicans didn't want to come up and put a new list, there was so much controversy this session. So they just said, okay, look at this code, and that will be our list. So what's missing is it doesn't include gender, it doesn't include age, and it doesn't include transgender. The other thing is, when you look at their definition, that says characters, traits, beliefs, practice, or association, or other attributes, This is making it so broad now that when you say association, that can be any group that you belong to, any association that you belong to now is in the bias crimes language. So now say if you belong to a group, say a coach group, and you felt that somebody did something that you felt was discriminatory, now you would want the judge to add on an aggravated sentence because you felt discriminated against because you was in that coach association. So they have broadened the language so broad 
that with their definition, almost anybody can say or any association or any group can be defined now or have a biased crime. Just so that's why we said it's so watered down now. Just looking at the language in uh, Senator Taylor's and State Representative Porter's bill, if this bill were to pass uh, the way that it is written, wouldn't it be extremely difficult uh, for the victim to prove that he or she was selected because of any of the identifiers in this bill? You said that he or she was elected? Uh, if the victim... Wouldn't it be difficult to prove that the victim was selected because of the national origin, religion, sexual orientation, so on and so forth? You said it would be difficult to prove. Yeah, would there be would there be a high bar that the person that wants to um, uh, um, in court to their attorney say that this my client was selected as a victim of this crime because of these factors? Uh, what William, uh, I believe, is getting toward is is that the way it, it's crafted here, there's a high bar that the victim would have to meet to prove that the crime was uh, inflicted upon them because of these categories or these or these uh, uh, qualifiers. You mean it? It would make it easier for the judge to say, "Okay, you're in this category. These are the categories that are considered a biased crime," and they could specifically specifically look and say, okay, race, color, religion, national origin, these are specific categories, and they can say, okay, you fit in this category. But when you go out and start making the categories so broad and say association or any other attribute the court chooses and start making it just so general, then that gives the court such a leeway and make it so general it makes it harder for the judges to come up with what is that definition. It's less black and white and more gray. I see. You see what I'm saying? I see. Yeah. Um, and, and I see yet another attempt with another piece of legislation here um, that when, um, if some legislation does not pass because it's deemed controversial or they're just the forces that be just aren't there yet or whatever, I have to hand it to you. You all are trying all stops, all angles to try to get uh, some legislation on record. Uh, say, for instance, the driver instructions on traffic stops. I mentioned earlier that we have interviewed a number of individuals that have gone around and are still going around the state having workshops, uh, trying to educate people on what to do. What are your rights, number one? But then again, what are your uh, what is your best uh course of action that you should take when pulled over. You may have the right to do something, but again, when it's um, a subjective encounter and purely subjective, uh, the court tends to lean to the officers who are ex an extended arm of the court in some respects. But um, this piece of legislation, driver instructions on traffic stops introduced by State Senator Lonnie Randolph, uh, the legislation would require driver instruction now, and drivers get instructed on law enforcement procedures during traffic stops and requires that the driver license handbook include a description of law enforcement uh, uh, procedures during traffic stops and the actions that a motorist should take during a traffic stop and, and obviously actions that they should not take. 
including appropriate interactions with law enforcement officers. On TV, you know, you see people making utterances they probably shouldn't make in real life, but, you know, some feel emboldened to do it. Uh, But it requires that the handbook be provided free of charge for use in a program of driver education offered at public high schools. And and I take it that this, too, did not get the hearing that it deserved. Well, that's why I wanted to talk about some of our successes, because even though our bill may not get passed, our language may get put in another Mm. bill. I see. Or in in this case, Lonnie's language, the administration went ahead and took his language and went ahead and put it in the BMV driver's manual. So we didn't even need the legislation. They went ahead and started working with Lonnie during a session mm-hmm. and worked with him and already changed the driver's manual and updated it and put that information on there on what you should do if stopped by a policeman. So that was another one of our successes. And even though some of the legislation in our agenda, everything didn't get passed, over 60% of our members got either a piece of their legislation passed or got their language put in a bill where their language got passed in another bill, which is a great accomplishment because considering both our House and Senate are in a super minority, to get 60, have 60% of our members have legislation passed was a great feat. And it was legislation that would help the African-American community. Okay. Um, if we can, uh, I want to I want to revisit some more of the legislation. But there there were also some programs of note that took place, uh, especially earlier this month, that I, I like to talk about. Uh, one in particular, uh, we have this phenomenon going on across the country, but Indiana, you know, we're not immune to it, where our youth are being incarcerated in jails and adult prisons, and um, in the U.S., it's, uh, there's a record here. I mean, there's a stat here that says more than 5,000 youth are incarcerated in jails and adult prisons in any given day in the U.S., and that stat goes all the way back to 2015. Um, what's your thought on that, and if you could begin to kind of talk about the program that took place on June 3rd? So on June 3rd, the Children's Policy and Law Initiative of Indiana held a community dialogue um, they had a group of community uh, members in there, and they were working off of, because this past session, there was a bill that tried to expand the transfer or the waiver law for juveniles um, if they were 12 years old and did attempted murder, based on what happened up in Noblesville. And luckily, with their advocacy and other community members, the bill didn't pass. So on June 3rd, they brought together the community members. Um, they had us in breakout sessions. I attended. And we got to talk about different issues as far as juvenile reform and some things that they would like to see. Um, I was in the group, of course, the legislative group, and talking about the waiver uh, and how we can change the waiver or maybe eliminate that waiver concept. Some of the other things that we talked about was eliminating the direct file system and I don't know um, how familiar you are with direct file. Uh, direct file is when our juveniles, uh, if they get a certain, um, if they're 16 or older and they get a certain uh, charge, usually it's like attempted murder, murder, kidnapping, rape, is a certain felony, carjacking, uh, handgun without a license, 
then you directly go to adult court. So we talk about um, changing that system, what changes can be made, and then we also talk about the expungement system. Right now, there is no special expungement system for juveniles. They have to go through the same expungement system as adults. In other states, most people probably think your record is automatically expunged once you become 18, but it's not in Indiana. In other states, there is an automatic expungement. Uh, it may be an easier process for a juvenile to expunge their record. So we talked about the steps of what we need to do to educate our legislators on these three main issues um, and how to, what are some of those things that we would like to change on these three main issues with the laws and different things that we need to do. Are you able to tell us anything about the bill that allows cities to require police officers and firefighters to live within city limits? Are you talking about Representative Hatcher's bill that she had in the yes. session? Yes. It provided a city may adopt an ordinance requiring a member of the police fire department to reside within the municipality within a specific time period, but no sooner than six months after the ordinance is adopted or a member is hired by the department. I, I can attest to that. I, I'm, I'm, William and I both are from Gary, Indiana, and, and State Representative Reagan Hatcher hails from Gary, Indiana, and that was sort of a unique uh, thing that I witnessed, uh, that there were a lot of individuals who were hired on the force who did not reside in the city of Gary. Um, and that sets up a whole set of different um, um, un- barriers at time and, and some, you know, just if you're not aware of the community, you don't know the nuances or the culture, uh, then it's just a matter of time before things um, unfortunately can happen. But, but nevertheless, she introduced this piece of legislation. And, and can, you, can you comment on that? That was another one of those bills that did not get a hearing. I will say every local entity is different, but her bill, of course, went to the courts and criminal code. No, actually, that bill went to local government. So it didn't get a hearing. It was one of those that I know she advocated for and we advocated for, but it died in committee. Mm -hmm. I just know some of the feedback uh, that people got is some of the localities would have different issues. Some may want them to live in the municipality. Some may require it. Some may not. But it didn't get a hearing. Uh, And and just one last follow-up to that, if I can. Uh, uh, Usually when you try to improve uh, public relations with law enforcement, and they call it, I guess, good community policing, uh, a lot of it, if, you know, it used to be a time, as we may all Recall, not that I've lived back there during that time. William may have. He's a lot older than me. But nevertheless, <laughs> when uh, police officers walk to beat in a neighborhood, I mean, and you, you talk about getting to know the people that you're working around or they drove around purposely with their windows down to hear and to be seen and to maybe wave to somebody, you know, just good community policing. <laughs> um, but but having an individual live in the community where they police, I I personally think it's it's a great idea, uh, but I can understand how some uh, cities that may not have the unique problems that other communities have, um, um, I can see yeah. they may push against that. 
Yeah, I know, of course, in Marion County, we would think that's great. I think a lot of our police officers already live in Marion County, and I think it's a requirement. But at the state level, we are thinking about doing something as a state law and saying that all the municipalities and cities have to do it. It probably will be something in there that you want to put as optional, and I think right now it's already optional. Mm-hmm. But that's something where this didn't get a hearing to even have that conversation. Right, right. So, and as a freshman trying to get something pushed that you want to require all municipalities to do something and have a requirement yeah. put in there, that's a hard push to try to make. For one, it's already hard to get a bill heard as a freshman. But then requiring something that all municipalities have to do, then that's another hard push. And my thinking is that would lead to that would lead to uh, more minority representation in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I do. I, I see what you hinted at earlier that while on the surface it may seem, okay, legislation didn't get a hearing, wasn't successful, but the the mere fact that perhaps it was debated before going into hearing or it was introduced, uh, some of the more savvy uh, uh, representatives may say, hey, that's not a bad idea, but maybe because I have a certain letter be, be before my title, I can't necessarily embrace it, but boy, that, that legislation um, does sound like it is worth its weight in gold so they may adopt some of that narrative and and place another other language as you as you alluded to earlier and i think that's all important uh we're we're sort of getting into further into the hour and there are a couple other areas that i did want to address uh i do want to get back though real real quickly to this youth incarceration what were some of the outcomes that um occurred in that workshop and that presentation that uh you were pleased with uh, like I mentioned before, the three points that I went over from our breakout session, those were the three things uh, that our group came up with that they were going to, um, this summer, the criminal um, summer study committee is going to be studying juvenile reform in the legislature. So those are three things that the group came up with that they're going to be pushing during that summer study committee and educating the legislators on and presenting their ideas during that summer study committee. During the summer study committee, you have to work with them and say that you want to testify and get your presentation together. So I just gave them some comments on uh, things that they can work on since they did say they wanted to educate the legislators because I didn't know that the juveniles didn't have the same, didn't have a different expungement system. So I'm like, a lot of legislators probably need to be educated on some of the things that we learned coming out of there and then given recommendations on what kind of legislation we can put forth for the next session. I, I do have a little perhaps pushback on, on the one thing that I see re- routinely repeated in this particular flyer. Um, where it says, young children ages 12 to 17 do not belong in adult court. Unless you create a special court, when you have those heinous crimes that you described earlier, um, then years past may have uh, demanded a capital sentence or or, or something similar. Um, you, you 
because they're not 18 does not mean in the public's eye, a lot of people think, well, they get a slap on the hand, they get probation, and they're out. No, but there needs to be some unique um, uh, uh, sentencing, and there, there probably needs to be the creation of some unique courts, and they may exist, but they may, they may need additional powers to do creative things. You know, a heinous crime is, yes, a heinous crime. Um, I don't know if it's mandatory psych- psychological um, because they're still developing as people or, or what what happens. Yeah, and we did we talked about that because that's what I, um, I did bring that up because I said there's going to be some crimes that people say, okay, some of these kids may either need to go to adult court or after they're done with juvenile court, they need to stay in there. So I told them to look and see what other states are doing. Mm-hmm. To give that type of route because you just can't say everybody needs to go to juvenile and then it stops. But what if you got someone that we have tried to help through mental services? They go to juvenile and then come 17 or 18, they're still not rehabilitated. Right. Then what if we do at that point? Then there has to be a continuation of where they need to go. And that's, that's not easy. I'm looking into that too. That is not easy. Um, uh, shifting gears we have about nine minutes left in this conversation Um, uh, we talked uh, before we went on the air uh, this evening about some of the the good work you all are doing in different communities around the state and William uh, did mention that as we were starting this conversation that uh, Bloomington uh, had a forum uh, that they hosted and had representatives that uh, uh, came down and, and informed the public those that were in attendance and uh, what sites within the state of Indiana are, are you visiting? Where have you been? What's up on the schedule? And what type of things are you discussing? So uh, we started in Indianapolis. We always check off in Indianapolis on May 18th. Uh, last week, or a couple weeks ago, we were in Fort Wayne on June 15th. This weekend, we'll be in Jeffersonville, uh, June 29th. Next, we'll be in Evansville, July 13th. And then after that, we'll be in South Bend, July 27th. Uh, next, we'll be in Terre Haute, August 3rd. And then we always end in Northwest Indiana. We'll be in Hammond. We rotate between Hammond, Gary, and East Chicago. So this time, we'll be in Hammond, August 17th. But what we're going over with people is legislation that passed. There's the bulk of it, important legislation that passed that we would like people to know in all the different categories. And then important legislation that didn't pass that was on our agenda. And then legislation of concern uh, that we think people should know about. We talk about the census. We have someone come in from the U.S. Census since that's very important coming up in 2020 and why people should make sure they know about it and um, need to get counted. And then we do the advocacy piece on how to advocate and the importance of advocacy. So the two pieces that we added was the census piece and the advocacy piece. Um, and then we get ideas of what people want us to focus on for the next session. And we have a big discussion about what are some of those ideas that you would like us to see or talk about for the next session. You know, we, we know that there are um, other areas with larger African-American communities uh, that, that are higher priority on the list. but. We could really uh, benefit from being on that list on that on your tour if you can make it down to Bloomington at some time, maybe next year when you're putting together your schedule. 
We will take that into consideration. I know a lot of uh, groups or a lot of cities have wanted us to add to the list, but I will ask everybody to keep in mind this is over summertime, and it is a lot. We're already traveling pretty much about every two weeks. Yeah. But we will, um, what we may start doing is switching out some of the cities because we did add one more this year, so we do have eight this year for the summer. And we try to get stuff done before our summer study committees uh, get into full gear. So, yeah, we already are asking a lot of our members, and they can't make all of these. But, yeah, we may look into switching out some since some of these people have seen us a lot. Yeah, we had mm -hmm. Kokomo access last week to try to get added to the list. Um, we'll keep that in mind. And while these other communities are, are, are uh, asking and, and uh, positioning themselves for a visit from you all, <laughs> you want to come to the best community, and that's why we're, we're saying yes. come down here. <laughs> now, now, one thing, we, we've had a really, really insightful, informative conversation over the span of, of almost an hour, and, and one thing um, that came to my mind do members of the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus routinely, um, not all perhaps because logistically it may be very, very hard to do that, but is there a time periodically through through the year that you all gather for radio panel discussions uh, where their callers may call in or are there times when, as you inform the public of your good work that you uh, do so through media uh, resources? And if so, what is what does that look like? So the one uh, African-American station up here, uh, you know, Amos Brown used to have this show. Right. So during session, we're on there weekly. Okay. And when we're out of session, we're on there monthly. So now that they have a permanent person, we will start going back on there monthly uh, with Tina Cosby. Uh, and we're on there monthly just giving people updates, talking about bills talking about things in the community. But on WTLC, now several people have shows. So they'll have several of our members come and talk about different things. Like I was just on one of their shows just on 9 o'clock on Saturday um, with one of their uh, guys, and we are talking about mental health and the IDLC and different things. So depending on what their topic is um, for whatever thing, we try to have a member maybe do their shows at least like monthly and rotate the members around to talk about different things and how it deals with legislation. They may have us on with somebody else or they may have us on by ourselves. But generally, whatever their topic is, we can have a policy issue or community issue discussion and be added in. Well, I, I was thinking as we were talking, and, and that's great that uh, one of our uh, other um, sister stations, I guess, up there is is thinking forward and, and doing these things. Um, you know, bringing on would like to perhaps uh, host a, a meeting of the minds, if you will. Uh, uh, members were kind enough to come down and educate our community, and perhaps um, the next time we plan something like that, have maybe a, um, a panel uh, pre-recorded or live discussion um, on some of these issues because the issues affecting African Americans are only going to get more and more important as we go. And uh, it's important that we learn what we can do to support 
your agenda because that was expressed to the members that came down here before I do do remember they distinctly said this is what you can do to help us and we, we love to extend uh, that opportunity as we plan something like that for you all to come down but in the meantime we are so grateful again that, that you have always consented to join us on the air to talk about these issues and to bring some relevance to it we have about a couple minutes left and I want to just yield to you if we've not talked about a couple things that need to be talked about if you want this time go ahead and uh, and share with us uh, what, what's uh, been on your mind what's been pressing with you well, what I do want to talk about is some of our success legislation that did get passed that's going to go into effect July 1st um, that members can participate in or look out for. So uh, one to start with, Summer Study Committees is going to be coming up in October uh, or very soon. One is the prescription drug cost bill uh, that I did get passed. So if you have any issues with high drug costs, especially with insulin or any other prescription drugs, they call my office and let me know. That was uh, House Bill 1029. We will be studying why are these uh, drug costs so high. So that's one bill got passed that we'll be studying that has taken a while. Senator Bro also got passed a bill, Senate Bill 416. We have a high infant mortality rate. Uh, one way we can help is with doulas. Doulas are actually the women that come along and help women throughout that whole process of pregnancy. Uh, they are not currently reimbursable by Medicaid. So she got a bill passed that will allow FSSA to apply to the federal government for a waiver so they can get these doulas reimbursed by Medicaid. And then another one, Representative Porter, his House Bill 1354, for sickle cell uh, funding for adults. Right now, we only give mainly the funding that's going to kids, but a lot of adults are affected by sickle cell. And so he was able to get about 200000 uh, in funding to go uh, for those adults for sickle cell. And then Senator Melton, his is one of those, his bill didn't get passed, but his language, to have your license, driver's license, now you could be able to have it on your phone. So the BMV will be working on that. So we all know there is issues when the police pull you over and whether if they think you're reaching in your pocket or trying to reach in your glove compartment. But now something may be easier where on your cell phone you can have um, a photo or a version of your driver's license is now going to be able to be on your cell phone versus having to have it just in your wallet or purse. So look for that to come down. That was his language. So those are just some of those um, pieces that we were able to get passed by the Black Caucus, some bills or languages that I think will um, help the African-American community out. Well, as we sort of segue um, out of this interview with you, I just want to let you know that next week we plan to have sort of an analysis of the first round of debates by the uh, Democratic contenders for the highest office in the land. And, and we did mention at the top of the hour that uh, if you had any thoughts that you might want to weigh in, I'm, I'm just curious to see, are they talking about the right issues um, that are important uh-huh. today? And then also want to find out, this is your opportunity, um, um, Representative Shackford, to throw your hat in the ring and say that, uh-huh. declare today that you are running for the presidency of the United States of America. 
You would be number 26. You would be number 26. I I think there's enough people with their hat in the ring. (laughs) But are they they hitting all the relevant issues, or are are they not talking about some that you really would like for them to talk about? You know what? I haven't been, I don't want to say I haven't been paying attention, but I've just mainly been skimming and seeing some of the issues that they've been talking about. I think I'm just waiting for the field to narrow, to really start looking closely. We have so much stuff going on at the state level right now that I haven't even had the opportunity to really hone in on everything that they're talking about at the national level. But things that I would really want them to focus on at the federal level is economic development, how our school systems, and the high crime, how can they help this stuff really that's impacting us at the local level, in our everyday lives. Student loans, I really wish one of them would come up with something for people our age that are still paying student loans to help with this debt. Mm. Things that will really help everyday lives and what I see in my district, some jobs, high paying jobs that will help people with economic development here on the east side and the far east side of Indianapolis. And with so that, those are just some of the things that I would like to see. <laughs> and with that we'll let that be the last word. Um, our thanks to State Representative Robin Shackelford, who's the chair of the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus, for joining us to discuss progress to date on the IBLC major initiatives for 2019. And we thank you for that, uh, that uh, those final thoughts, uh, your insights on, on the presidential experience that we're all having uh, <laughs> this, this year. And, is that uh, what it is? It's, it's an experience, <laughs> yes. And and next week, like I said, we're going to try to get in depth a little bit about some of the topics raised during the uh, the first round of debates. Okay, thank you. Thank you for having me. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, we would like to hear it. Please send your emails to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share any and everything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. That email address, once again, bringiton at wfhb.org.
You just heard John Coltrane from his CD, The Atlantic Collection. The title cut was Mr. Sims. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. Bring It On is a people's forum for black culture in South Central Indiana and beyond. If you're a tweeter, you're invited to follow the WFHB News Twitter account. It's a great way to get breaking news and updates on what's going on behind the scenes and on the air with WFHB News. Simply go to twitter.com and search for WFHB News. Or you can always visit our news website at wfhb.org news. And once again, our thanks to State Representative Robin Shackelford, Chair of the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus, for joining us to discuss uh, progress to date on the IBLC major initiatives for 2019. And uh, we look to have her or other representatives on in the not-so-distant future. Our show's producer is Clarence Boone, with help from WFHB News Department Director Wes Martin. Tonight's board engineer is Chantel Lafont. Our, inju- our original theme music was created by, by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm William Hosea. And I've been on this one-man crusade. Uh, I will educate everyone in the whole world. It's Chantal Lafontant. And I'm Clarence Boone. Yeah, her, next Monday. Her too. Her too. July 1st at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.